From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, Brett Bradigan, editor of your Ojai Magazines, the monthly and quarterly. Our guest this episode is Robin Goldstein, the author, uh, chef, and all-around food expert. So this is one of my favorite type of conversations, talking about something I'm very passionate about, which is food. So expect to have a very lively back and forth about her long and storied career in the business, which she was basically born into, and what brought her to Ojai, and what she's got planned next. Hey, Robin, thanks for joining me. We were just talking about the restaurant business and uh, where you have some very early memories. Yeah. The Golden Parrot. The Golden Parrot, yeah. My grandparents opened the Golden Parrot in the 50s, and um, that's probably like my first memory of being in the restaurant and being drawn to food. Yeah. Was there yeah. a certain energy to it, or was it like the aromas, or was it the people, the noise, the the moving around? I mean, this place was amazing. It was uh, it was a five five story building, historical building, and you walked up this grand staircase, and there were three dining rooms and a beautiful bar, and everything was immaculately decorated. My grandmother had very good taste and she decorated with all antiques and then I guess my first memory was going in the kitchen which was on the bottom floor and how the waiters just effortlessly floated around with the trays and food bringing them upstairs they also had a dumb waiter and that was smart waiters and dumb waiters (laughs) it wasn't even electric they had to like with, I love with all those old the gadgets. old rope and um, you know my grand I was not old enough to work there but uh, my grandmother would bring me down in the kitchen and I'd watch um, gosh I remember her name her name was Mamie and she would make all the sticky buns and pastries and mm-hmm. pies and and um, I would just um, they would let me go behind the bar and just kind of help or put ice in a glass or something I mean literally I was feel like you're really that I was part up. of the the team, but um, we really literally were born in the restaurant because we lived there in that building for oh, a really? number the of same years. Building as a yeah, restaurant. our oh, whole wow. family lived there. That sounds yeah. ideal. It was, I'm sure I was fed really well yeah. back then. So, did you think, even as a child, that food, culinary arts is going to be your path? I think so. I mean, really. Um, since I started working at 14, I always worked in some sort of food. Um, what was your capacity. first job? My first job was at, um, it was called the Cheese and Wine Store in, in Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of D.C. And um, it was a sub shop, basically. But they oh, also had... Oh, and grinders. Yeah. They had um, a cheese department, too, like on the other side of the shop, and nobody ever wanted to go over there. And I was like, I'll go over there. And Why so, they? I Because it smelled like cheese. Oh, I mean, it was stinky, it, and they had these big double-handled knives, and um, the, the owner's son was the manager, and he's like, who wants to learn how to, you know, cut the cheese and sell the cheeses? And I put my hand up. You said, I'd love to cut I the cheese. I love to cut the cheese. I hope cheese. you don't say that in an eighth grade classroom. <laughs> no. 
that that was my first job and then went on to work um a number like a half a dozen different restaurants in the area just i always wanted to be in the kitchen and i didn't really think about it as a career but um i guess it was probably 11th grade as a as a junior my grandmother said we should go up to the culinary institute in new york on the Hudson, and, the Hudson River Valley? Yeah. Where is it? It's in, Pekip- it's in Poughkeepsie. Hyde Park, really. Hyde Park? Okay. Yeah. It's not too far from the city. Anyway, I, had knew, I knew nothing about it. I guess she had read an article in the newspaper. She showed me, and she said, let's go up there and just check it out. And so um, that was the start of my culinary when you were career. in 11th grade? Yeah. And Looking, then I applied, yeah. didn't hear anything, kind of forgot about it, and then like... I think three months after, three or four months after I graduated high school, um, she's like, you know, did you ever hear? And I said, no. And so she goes, why don't you give them a call? And I called and they're like, well, your acceptance date is, I can't remember exactly the date right at this moment, but like I literally started a month later after I called. Yeah. And that's like the work, you got to know every position, right? On the well, line, you got to do the sous chefing, pastry chefing. You got to know how to chop a mirepoix. Well, they teach cubes. you. They yeah. teach you everything, and it uh, starts with knife skills and uh, beginning baking. You have to bring your own knives, like carpenters with their tools, right? You got to get actually Victorinix or whatever you're going to use. What are the give, best knives? Oh God, that's such a loaded question. Loaded question. Because the Japanese have different sort of setups, right? I have like forty knives, and all an array of all different brands um but they do give you the knives at school okay and i had that knife roll for like probably 20 years i don't know whatever happened to that but yeah that was the start of my very long career yeah and what were your um you know the challenges of that did you find any particular part of the kitchen because the the line is just like so fast-paced and so such a blur well, that's where I started, and I loved it, the high, fast the energy, pace, yeah. the energy. And being a woman in the industry in the mid-'80s was, um, you know, there weren't as many women. Mm-hmm. There were only three women in my class, actually. Of how many? Of uh, Well, we had 18 people in our class, and there were four classes starting at the same time. And okay. there were three in our class, and I would say maybe there were six women in the total. whole entire total. In your whole cohort, huh? So yeah, going, it is a very butch, masculine sort of uh, environment. Huh? Probably less now than it was, but well, there's a lot of ego involved. Yeah, all I know is uh, Kitchen Confidential, uh, Anthony Bourdain, and that was a gripping read. I never thought I'd be so interested mm-hmm. in the ins and out and the personality conflicts and the, the hiring drugs. and the, <laughs> the drugs and the drinking and how they get through a day like it's. A, I know the way he described getting up at like four in the morning to go hit the farmers markets and get the lunch menu together and everything that goes into running a restaurant. It's it's, it's amazing. It's very right on. Yeah, yeah. I um, luckily worked for great people, and um, some of my first um, chefs in restaurant business I really look up to. Um, I worked for Mary Sue. Milliken and Susan Feneker for the Border Those Grill. Those sound familiar. Border yeah. Grill, yeah. the two hot tamales. 
Um, I was their first chef at the Border Grill on Melrose. Wow, how'd you get that gig? Because they were pretty well known at that point. Or did you get in before they really made their name? It was right when they were making their name yeah. at the um, City Cafe, and then they opened up City after that. And I knew someone who had a job there, and she asked me if I wanted to apply. And so I applied, and I worked my ass off there. Bad, it was yeah. great. It was a small restaurant, maybe like, I don't know, 30 seats but we would turn it over three times and wow. we made everything by hand i still remember some of the recipes it's like they, oh really what were some um well we made flan we made three different flans and we mm. had to make like three or four every night basically and yeah. uh, we made I this amazing uh, rajas dish it's all mexican kind of yucatan based mm. and um roasting peppers and tomatoes and we made our own chips and cactus salad with uh, añejo cheese Mm -hmm. yeah it was just delicious food and just so um, meticulously prepared and we had a tiny little kitchen probably as big as this office right here it was which for readers it's not that big (laughs) it's not that big (laughs) anyway it was 12 um, by 20 or 12 by 18 yeah. yeah it was a tiny kitchen and um but later on, after that, I found catering and uh, worked for a really large... That's a big shift, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a different way of cooking, yeah. actually. And Because it's the time between preparation and eating is inevitably going to be much longer than a restaurant, right? Usually, yeah. And you have to take everything t- on location. So you have to yeah. prep differently. You have to pack everything up. You have to get to the location. Sometimes you haven't seen the location. Yeah. More so often than not. It's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Right? But have you got I, surprised by some places? Like, how am I going to do this here? Well, I have a f- couple of fun stories. <laughs> a lot of times we work in people's garages and bring in the rentals. If okay. their kitchen wasn't yeah. big enough to, you know, facilitate if it was more than like 20 people. But. You know, you show up to a house and they're like, oh, yeah, our oven doesn't work very, very well. I'm like, very well or does it work at all? And the party that I went to that I can think of in my mind was a pizza party. I'm like, how are we going to make pizza? Your oven doesn't work. So I we used to make the crust in advance so that it wouldn't take as long. And I cut the pizza crust in half, put the toppings on it. And they luckily had a toaster oven. Um, I can't tell you how many times people would tell me when I arrived that, oh, our stove isn't working very good or our oven or, you know, we have no ice maker. So you hopefully figure this out ahead of time. But there's a lot of things you can't do in catering, right? You wouldn't like make French fries or donuts or anything. Oh, we make everything. Deep deep frying. You're going to take a You bring a a big pot. You bring a Mm. big pot and fill it up with oil and... Okay. Yeah, we made everything. Um, when I learned when I learned from this one catering company is that we prepped everything in in advance. Yeah. So like a private chef would go and go to their client's house with all the ingredients and start cooking and cook mm-hmm. their meals for them or do a party. But with this type of catering, we learned very early on, or I learned very early on that if you prep most of your ingredients, then you're not caught off guard. Yeah. Um, you know, salad dressings, you might bake the desserts, you might marinate the meats, but we are mm. cooking on site. But we would make everything. Really? Homemade. Even like uh, lamb shanks or oh, yeah. asabuco or things that take hours and hours? Well, that we would probably cook in advance. Oh, and just warm and it up. And warm it yeah. up. 
Yeah. Those are my favorites. I love Those beef bargain braised. And braised, slow braised meats. Yeah, just... yum. I just made some last week. Oh, yeah. Braised what? it in a bottle of uh, Syrah and onions and put it in a cast iron pot. With a, a, it was a whole um, boneless leg of lamb and mm. about seven hours. It wow. was amazing. Low and slow. Low and slow, yeah. And then uh, the other, the part I like most about like lamb and that is like the gremolatas that you can just make anything. Like uh, I know Argentinians have the chimichurro, but mm-hmm. infinite variety of just. I'll give you a recipe for gremolata. Well, I call it persiade, which is French. And this was sort of a French Provençal dish with mm. the lamb. And you take a bunch of mint and a bunch of... Rosemary. Parsley. Parsley? Chop it up Flat really fine. Parsley Flat leaf parsley. Okay. You can use the curly leaf if you like. And a couple cloves of garlic. Chop it all up by hand. Don't yeah. put it in the processor. Or with a mortar and pestle. Yeah. And then uh, add some olive oil, salt, and maybe a little squeeze of lemon or vinegar. And just that's and so delicious the, on the lamb. The au jus from the cooking. Oh, all the juices just... Oh, my yeah, mouth is watering just part. thinking about it. I know. Yeah. I started making a just dried pixie rinds in a pepper grinder. It gets stuck all the time. It's not very convenient because you never get all the, because there's so much oil in there, they always gum up. But wow, the flavor of fresh grated pixie, you know, dried pixie rinds, that really is the base for many, many, some of my favorite meals. That sounds really good. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, I love the idea or the versatility of that and being able to use the local ingredients. So are you still in uh, on the East Coast at this point? Oh, no. I moved uh, right after culinary school. So I moved to California in the mid-'80s. Mm. So um, had a couple fun little jobs right before in during high school and then uh, moved here right after, so June of 1984. That's when I uh, started working. During the Olympics. Uh, in a couple restaurants, I probably tried maybe six different restaurants, and then a friend of mine actually from school called and said, oh, I know of this catering company that needs some help. You should come work with us. And so I didn't leave there for, oh gosh, I was there for three years, I think, until that's I opened. That's a long time in the food business. It is. So. I mean, you, it's different with uh, restaurants. You jump around, you get as much experience mm-hmm. as you can. And um, I opened up my own catering company at 25. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you feel like you had an entrepreneurial zeal the whole time? I guess. I mean, really, it just kind of, I just was going through the motions, um, you know, getting the jobs. I just wanted to be in the kitchen. I loved cooking. Um, like I said, growing up in the restaurant business, my grandparents, and then my dad also had a restaurant when I was older, I was just always around it, and it just felt like home, you know. And then when I was in the kitchen, I felt like it's my art, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable and confident in the kitchen. Yeah, there's, like, stressful situations sometimes, yeah. but I um, I don't know. I feel like I that's the one comment I get from my clients. They're like, you're so calm. You make it look so easy. I'm like, well, after 40 years, I should be pretty calm. Yeah, I don't know. I think you just have to have the temperament for it. I think I have the temperament. You know, I, I also feel think like that part of the allure of kitchen work is that you're just so busy all the time. You know, the idle hands are the devil's playground, that you just don't have time to ruminate and obsess about 
things because you're always doing something. And I think that's part of the attraction. The only experience I have at all is in when I was in boot camp, I got KP, Kitchen Patrol, for some stupid reason. And I had to work a full shift, which was like 16 hours or something, scrubbing pots. And every time there's a meal turnover, they're just coming in and you're blasting them with a high-pressure hot water. And it's just the scrubbing and everything else. I like, couldn't believe how fast that day went. It just blitzed past me like, oh, wow. Couldn't believe it. Well, that's funny that you bring that up about washing dishes is because everyone thinks, oh, a chef, it's so glamorous. glamorous. But, mm. you know, you got to wash your dishes. And especially when you're a private chef like I am, you know, you're going into your clients' homes. They don't always have their housekeepers available. So you're oh, cooking, you gotta, but there's a lot of cleanup involved. Because you got to get prepared and serving yeah. platters and everything else. And clean up as you go. Otherwise, yeah, you're... clean up as you go. That's the big... I remember we had 10 people in our house one summer and when I, early on in Ojai. And it's a long story how it's friends and their friends. And, mm-hmm. and so we were cooking for 10 people. I did most of the cooking for every night. And then uh, some of the other people said, oh, let us cook. We're happy to cook. Yeah. No, I don't want you cooking if I'm going to have to do your dishes because you don't clean up as you go and you make <laughs> an enormous mess that's way worse than whatever deliciousness of the food, which probably isn't going to be very good to begin with. <laughs> so, no, okay. let me handle it. <laughs> it's okay to make a mess. I know, but it's not okay to have some, if, if you clean it up yourself. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You don't want to be cleaning up somebody else's mess. Yeah. So, you know, the food world is changing now. You can feel the, in a, in a good way, I mean the quality of ingredients and in people's Tastes have evolved. I feel like food is so much better now than it was when I was growing up. And I was very spoiled. But the, you know, we're going to be close to 8 billion people here any year. How is that going to work, having to feed that many people? I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it. That's, uh, you know, a very long, um, detailed answer, but... Well, better, I mean, better I, you than about anybody else I've had on the show. I mean, I don't know if we can, um, you know, solve the world's Well, I think some of problem, the, remember but, that book back in the early 70s, Francine Laniapa, La- 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 Diet for a Small Planet? Oh, I never read that. that. Hmm. No. I mean, really, like, people are becoming more aware and buying locally, and so really we should worry, not worry about the whole world, but... You know, be more involved in our own community. Yeah, locavores, slow food movement. I mean, it's where you. It's different mm-hmm. everywhere. We're in Ojai, California, so we have a cornucopia. We're so blessed. I mean, there's farms all around us, and people really support the local farmers, and the local restaurants, and the local restaurants are also supporting the local farms, and um, people are just more aware. But it's going to be different in Minnesota. Or, uh-huh. you know, in well, I remember growing up in frozen wasteland and you go into a supermarket in February or March and lucky to find a few wilted rutabagas or right? turnips. Yeah. So we're so blessed here. Um, you know, people are really going more towards plant based foods. I, mean, I think that's part of the solution is it just is so energy intensive to raise, you know, meat. But, I mean, everything in moderation. I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with I don't I'm not a vegetarian so yeah I um, have been and vegan just because of it was easier to go along with partners and whatnot mm-hmm. and, and I get it I mean there's only um, you know it's, it's amazing what you can do especially if you stop looking at oh you got to have a meat substitute or how oh, the meat substitute this no vegetables can be fine on their own oh yeah properly prepared yeah I, I love vegetarian foods I cook them all the time for my clients and I mm-hmm. have vegan clients but I personally I maybe eat meat once a week at the most oh you know? no, I eat meat every day but that's because I'm coming <laughs> off a long vegan stretch oh gosh now, what is some of the restrictions that you have to deal with when you get a client? Oh, I've got peanut allergies and gluten-free. And There's always something. There's an allergy or a, a dietary like or dislike. So you really have to listen to your client and take notes, of course. What about like kosher kitchen? I, w- I wonder about that because then you got like doubles the amount of preparation and such. Well, I mean, technically we can't cook kosher because... Um, unless they have a kosher household, um, mm-hmm. because it has to be blessed and cleaned a specific way. So I can't cook my food in oh, my I kitchen. You can buy kosher. kosher you can foods. buy if they're kosher style. Oh gosh, this is a whole nother podcast. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm fascinated by all the complexities because we got Camp Rama here, which feeds 15, 1800 people a day right. at peak season. They have a kosher kitchen. Yeah, so they, I can't cook in my kitchen. Art kitchen there. It's no, really it's impressive. amazing, yeah. But um, you know, aside from kosher, I'm dealing with people who might have a health issue and they can't have mm-hmm. salt or uh, no uh, animal fats or something like that. Yeah. But there's never an issue for me. Like I say, don't worry about that. I'll deal with that because mm-hmm. they, they come with this worried look on their face. Yeah. Oh, is that checked out? And yeah, so and forth. I just make it work. Please tell me so I can be aware of it in yeah. advance. I wonder if it sometimes it doesn't make it easier because it narrows down all the infinite choices that you can make. And it gets does, it you know. Although simpl- they'll simplifies. come, they'll come and say, "Oh, my uncle, he's gluten free, so we have to make the whole menu gluten free." I'm like, "We really don't. Why don't we make a menu that you like, and I'll make something gluten free for your uncle." make adjustments so um you know it's being flexible also just really um listening to your client and uh have variety of foods yeah and food is uh one of my exes was a big she was a medical doctor and her whole thing was and a vegan and her whole thing was food is medicine let food be thy medicine i think it was hippocrates or somebody said that so i wonder do you think about that too like I used to tell my stepkids, you know, you only get one body right at this moment, you know, this time around. We'll be able to transfer out here pretty soon. You know, the neural links go on board. Yeah. Put good things in your body, make good choices. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll live longer. (laughs) Or you'll enjoy your life that you have more. Everything in moderation. They're trying to get away from this, you know, long life and, you know, the trying to get more towards health span. Like, how much of your years are active and productive versus, you know, degenerative diseases mm-hmm. like diabetes and things that come from the food choices that you make. The food choices, the environment, all the plastics. I mean, everything's... Yeah. <laughs> we're doomed, have, uh, Brett. <laughs> I don't know if you know Eric, um, the fisherman, oh, who yeah. does the Thursday market. Yeah, I know Eric. I love getting those texts because one of my favorite things to eat of the moment is 
very thinly sliced halibut with just a little dot of sesame oil and soy. Just nice. Just I can eat a, half a pound at a sitting with and feel guilty about it, but oh, it's so good. Yeah, he's. But got- that's not a. I don't know with climate change and you know a glacier the size of whatever just broke off Antarctica and just that one alone over the next few years is going to raise the the alkalinity of the water and change the you know the whole it's going to go up another three or four inches just from that so seafood I think it's just going to get harder and harder Mm -hmm. I remember we grew up eating crabs in Maryland Maryland blue crab it's really hard to get crab now and scallops and a lot of seafood are the prices are sky high but it's the availability is diminished for sure it's going to get harder and harder what about these uh, lab-cultured protein meats and such? You're gonna still, are you, do you feel a little squeamish about that? I've never really had experience with those. Um, what about impossible meat? It's basically lab-grown. Yeah, I don't really use those. Mm. I don't cook for those. Um, I just wonder about feeding a hungry planet. We're going to have to get inventive about the ways we produce calories. Yeah. Possibly. I mean, I, I, those are convenience foods for people to cook when they're hiring a chef. I'm not going to cook their impossible burgers for them. No. You know, they can cook them, them themselves. I'm going to make an amazing veggie burger, burger yeah. with lots of vegetables in it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use, you know, an already. Do you have a, a recipe for Yeah, I'll have to delicious. send it to you. I don't Yeah, I want to post up some of your recipes okay. here. I, do I have love, four cookbooks full of recipes. Two things. My, I love to eat, and I love to talk about eating. Nice. Yeah. So the, you know, the role models and such, I wonder, um, you grew up in the, in the world. Were there any, like, eccentric chefs or waiters or anything that, you know, took you under their wing and maybe influenced your worldviews about food and kitchen because i worked in just a handful of restaurants when i first started i would say mary sue and susan were huge role models just because of the way they treated their employees and the way they really poured their heart and soul into the mm-hmm. kitchen and the preparation were they, were they uh, celebrity chefs when you not first at that started time with? so you saw the whole thing come down there, yeah right? they they were mm-hmm. just really become i mean our, the restaurant was packed and people were waiting around the corner so it was just at the peak of their success and um, then I moved on so I found catering and so really honestly I I would admire other chefs and read about them or watch them on TV and all the cooking shows started Mm, in the 90s Um, but I didn't because I went into catering in my own business, I didn't work for them. So, yeah. you know, I created my own style based on my travels in Europe. And, and well, tell, uh, tell us about the travels. Well, I was going to ask you, like, the, you know, the rise of the star chefs and everything. But why did you pick catering over restaurant work? Um, okay, so you're in a restaurant. You're cooking the same menu usually. Maybe the specials are different. Okay. And there's that... That, you know, the grind. that grind of like, you know, get there by three, do your prep, and then you're in service till nine or 10 o'clock at night. And, 
you know, it can wear on you a little bit. So when I found catering, it was so awesome because we would not leisurely prep our foods, but we had the week to prep for the weekend parties. And then we were going into amazing homes Mm -hmm. at the time. This was down in Los Angeles. So I was going into homes in Bel Air and Beverly Hills and, you know, seeing a different home every time and seeing a different kitchen and um, making different meals because every time was different. Yeah. And that, to me, was really amazing. I can totally see that attraction, yeah. And I still the, do that. The variety. The yeah. variety. It wasn't like the grind. I mean, we certainly had our service period where, you know, get the appetizers ready and mm-hmm. get the buffet ready. And, um, you know, but it was, it was a shorter grind. But also, it was a little bit more work because you have to load in and load out twice. So you load out from the kitchen, load into your client's home, and then at the end of the event, load up into the van and then get it back to the kitchen. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm still doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And you must love it. Or Very muscly. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Um, it's been 40 years cooking, and I still love nice. it. But I um, am thinking of ways to uh, shift out of that, yeah. that day-to-day. Into what? Well, I a celebrity am, author cookbook. Type. I do have my cookbooks, and I would say I'm known in the area for my mm-hmm. cookbooks. Um, I'm launching a private chef coaching program. I think you might have mentioned that. Yeah. So actually, it's starting in January. I want Is it to be online. Or are you going to do it? It's online. Okay. It's online. Um, there'll be live. And because people are going to sign up all over the country, hopefully. Um, we'll be doing it on Zoom, Mm -hmm. and it will be an eight-week program. Um, I'm not going to teach you how to cook. You already have to know how to cook. uh, You have to have the knowledge knowledge of cooking, Mm -hmm. two to three years' experience. But I um, am guiding them through setting up their business. Okay. So you're maybe people who are working in a kitchen or a restaurant are looking to have their own gig, get a get a side hustle going that becomes their main hustle. Exactly. Nice. It's like very that. lucrative That's and uh, it's really fun and you create relationships with your clients. Um, there's three different kinds of private chefs, if you will. Like mm-hmm. there's a chef that might want to do drop off meals, cook the foods in their own home and drop them off. Like meals on wheels that help a bohai does. Yeah. But for wealthier clients (laughs) and then there's the chefs that go on site to their clients home they could either have that one family or they could have several families throughout the week like my monday client my wednesday client my friday client cooking in their kitchen and then there's the private chef that does catering like Mm -hmm. i do dinner parties um, I work with a lot of vacation rental properties, so they've rented this beautiful home. They're yeah. there for the weekend. They want to bring the in a chef. Reunions, sitting there yeah, birthday parties, uh, anniversaries, and then we go in. Um, I have a team of of a few chefs, and I have servers, so we can provide staff. Um, but we basically focus on the food, and that's mm-hmm. when we're going into detail with the client. Like, what do you imagine that you'd want to serve? Would you like to have beef served? Would you like it all plated and served as a three or four course meal? Or would you like to have a buffet or serve family style on platters that we pass along the table? 
Yeah, and that's my favorite. I love family style yeah. too, and you can make it look really amazing. And yeah. um, so that's what I want to um, guide people through because there's business setup, there's organization, and there's communication. There's a way to communicate with your clients from the beginning mm-hmm. of booking the event till the actual event yeah, and afterwards too. You don't want any last minute surprises. No, and you have to be super organized, but you have to communicate with your client and you have to listen to them too. You know, well, you you yeah. could be have a huge ego and be like, "Well, this is what I want to serve," but if the client is saying like I would rather have that, you have to as of a course. private chef, you mm-hmm. have to either be able to listen to your client or um convince them that this is really what they should have persuasion about yeah definitely persuasion what's going on yeah yeah have you had any unreasonable requests anybody ask for something crazy unreasonable like what they wanted served like uh and that i couldn't produce lion haunch oh gosh no you know pretty people are pretty basic you know chicken meat or fish if you want red meat, do you want beef or lamb? Um, mm, sometimes it's harder. If you give them too many choices, it's harder for them to decide. So you have to sort of guide them and, and also know what's available in your area. You know, mm-hmm. um, again, Ojai has so a What are some of your favorite offerings here in Ojai? Like what, what are some of the well, things this, that are best here? I imagine the greens they get turned over every four or five weeks so yeah probably really great fresh the greens are amazing we have a farm right five minutes from here that has all these beautiful lettuces different varieties of kale and escarole and they have frisee i just saw they had frisee oh yeah i love frisee and And radicchio radicchio. and the treviso the long elongated radicchio the red leaf i'm not familiar with that that you can throw on a grill and um, oh. the citrus, you know, we're not quite into citrus season yet. It's just starting, but citrus and we um, grow the world famous pixies here. You incorporate that. Do you feel like a sense of local pride about incorporating that into your Absolutely. Menus? Oh my gosh. What's I've your lived favorite here. pixie recipe? Um, oh gosh. I have a whole chapter of pixie recipes in my Ojai cookbook. Nice. Um, what's my favorite? Um, okay. Here's one. Chicken with citrus and figs and olives. Ooh, you got me. I'll send you the recipe. Anything with figs. But it has um, whole cut up pixies or tangerines in it. And Mm. when you roast, um, I use usually like a thigh, chicken thigh with the bone in or bone off. Much much prefer chicken thighs to breast. So it's got olives and figs and the cut up oranges. It's got a little honey and lavender in it. Hmm. And then you marinate it, roast it, and when you actually take a bite, you take a bite with a piece of the orange with the rind oh, and everything yeah. and the fig, That's and the it's best. so delicious. That's a good one. I will definitely send you the recipe. Yeah, I've got some chicken thighs thawing out right now. Oh, that's a good one. Forward. That's a good one. Um, yeah, I just think about Ojai as a, as a bubble. You know, we're, we're, we're very fortunate here in many, many ways. But how is, what are some of the other areas that you've catered to where maybe it was a little more challenging? <clears throat> I wouldn't say challenging, but I go out to the San Inez Valley a lot. Mm-hmm. And again, with the vacation rental properties that I have connections with, 
uh, I'll go out there. Actually, I wrote a wine country cookbook, so oh, wow. I have a lot of recipes that are geared to go with wine um, and cheeses. And uh, I have a whole chapter of cooking with grapes. Oh, nice. And a savory yeah, dishes. very versatile because I grew up in grape country, and I can tell you it's like virtually infinite. Where variety. did you grow up? In western New York, near uh, oh, yeah. Buffalo, not far from Buffalo, but in the foothills of the Allegheny Mountains. So you had your sheltered valleys where you could... I mean, this is some of the richest dairy country in the world. I think only the Isle of Guernsey or Jersey has higher butter fat than Chautauqua cows. They can get 10 or 11% butter fat. That's amazing. And when you see it float up to the top of the of the milk can, you're like, oh my God, this is what they mean by fat of the land. It really is. It's just so credible. And you get those, because the Amish don't have to uh, pasteurize their products, so you mm. get those amazing, amazing raw milk cheeses there. Just, I mean, it was, you know, and we grew up on a farm, so we, my dad was a master farmer. He had everything. I mean, I was, I was not, I never even got back to a place where people had the same understanding of food as I did until I moved to Ojai. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I was a little spoiled. You know, we're poor. My dad was the town grave digger and he had a mail route and he drove school bus and whatever he had to do. So the farm didn't even barely cover expenses. It just is a way to keep all six of his kids active and busy. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And you said they grow, they're, it's a big grape growing region there yeah a little closer to the shores of lake erie where they have a little more sandy soil mm. and uh, i'm trying to think of like mogan david grapes come from there. oh yeah uh welch's grapes westfield that's only like 10 miles from where i grew up lots but of yeah. concord grapes oh concords fredonias niagara's wow well back to the san Inez valley where there's just you know it's just booming there um I started cooking with grapes because there were so many. Um, but you know how you have grapes in the fridge and you've eaten them, maybe put them on a cheese board, but then there's still some left in your fridge yeah. and you don't know what to do with them and you end up throwing them away or putting them in the freezer? Mm-hmm. Well, you can roast them just like you roast cherry tomatoes. So you take nice. the grapes, take them off the vine, uh, take them off the stem, put them on a sheet pan with a little olive oil, a little bit of salt if you're using a savory dish, and throw them in the oven for a half an hour. And the juice is caramelized, like 350. 350. Um, some grapes, if they're larger, they might mm-hmm. take a little longer. But and then I, I'm going to try that. That sounds fun. So then those can go in a turkey salad, like a Waldorf salad. Mm. Or you could throw them on top of um, a, a, a farro salad. Throw them in with farro. I have a whole chapter of cooking with grapes. And then you can also puree them and make sauces. So I have a number of different sauces. Mm, One's spicy with jalapeno, goes on duck, or the roasted lamb sauce with garlic and shallots, and it goes on lamb with some almonds. Oh, God, that sounds so good. So it's a versatile fruit, just like tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, back to citrus, because one of the... First, my early, maybe my earliest food memory was, you know, around, because it is, it's so cold and the winters are so dark and long that the first little burst of sunshine we would have would be our Christmas stockings would be full of 
Brazil nuts and tangerines. Nice. So, wow. Sweet. You know, hopefully I think about them. Maybe they were coming from Ohio. They very well could have. But my mom would peel them and put them on the furnace grate. And within just 10, 15, 20 minutes, it changes the texture of them completely. So they're like these little dry, papery sacks with full of just unbelievably sweet juice, like the burst of flavor that you get from one of those. Yum. You know, when you dry out, the, mm-hmm. it gets crackly. It, yeah. It's completely different. Oh, I've never I still heard of do that. that to this day. Uh, I think my mom actually got that from Mary uh, Frances Kennedy Fisher. I think she she wrote about that. My mom had all the cookbooks. She was obsessed. So she cooked too. At home. Oh my goodness! Yeah, she had a lot of issues, but man, just the the whole rhythm of life that ran around food because there was just so much preservation going on and, and canning six and kids. The pickling. And, yeah. yeah, it was it was a big deal. I would say people are more into that these days. You know, it's not so. a traditional thing. Um, you know, more in in European countries where, you know, they're putting up their tomatoes for the year. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like survival. They yeah. grow, they can, and that's what they eat for the rest of the year. Yeah, I just loved it when she'd go down into the... Well, she'd send us down into the basement because it was so scary mm-hmm. and get the, like, watermelon pickles. Oh, I love watermelon pickles. Oof, just that, just a sweet pickle like that, and you just chop them up and use them for whatever, use them for toppings for... My Meat grandparents put that on their tables at that rest at the Golden Parrot. They had like a, a relish tray oh, in this lovely. beautiful antique handled um, thing that had like six different dishes, oh, and they totally, would serve. Totally see that. I think I might still have one. Um, they put watermelon pickles, apple butter, mm. um, savory pickles, and I got I can't remember what else was in there, but. That was my first experience with watermelon pickles. Um, so delicious. You know what they're really good on is like tacos. And, oh. uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Have you ever made them? Uh, no, you I never them? have. I tried it. Yeah. They weren't. Well, it I was did, epic I did fail. make them because I was always helping. You know, we were all expected to do our share. So I technically have made them, but not mm-hmm. since I've been not an since. adult. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, now that I get thinking about it, maybe I should because they're so delicious. I'm going to try again. I sometimes don't look at recipes and just kind of wing it, yeah, which is often how That's I That's another cook. question about chefs. Are you a engineer or an artist? I'm an artist, Yeah, for sure. Writing the recipes for my cookbooks was very challenging because I don't measure and I just kind of mm-hmm. cook with what I have, but I definitely tested out all the recipes and had to measure everything and, you know, have them tested and so yeah. forth. But, uh, yeah, I'm an artist. I can go into anybody's house and and pull off a great meal. Just with from what they've got what in their they pantry. Have. Hopefully they have That's me. good I ingredients. That's me. I love to just improvise yeah. what's available I love improvising. Yeah. There's a great app that I found during the early days of pandemic that would just, like, you just, just tell it what you got. You know, maybe you've got a can of sardines and some capers and you got some, you know, uh, some, you know, rice noodles or something. And it just like gives you some delicious, you know, seafood or I don't know. Sardines are really good. Love sardines. There's the whole tin fish craze now. Tin Mm -hmm. fish board instead of charcuterie. 
I never, I didn't know that, but that sounds great. When you said Tin Fish Board, I thought like the Council of Governors or the Association. (laughs) No, No. you pick three tins of some kind of fish and um, you can sign up for these companies that will send you maybe four or five different varieties from Spain and different places. Like a a club? Yeah, a club, a subscription. subscription. Hmm. And then, so you put out maybe three different kinds, and you put a little cheese, some pickles, some mustard seeds, maybe some olives and some crackers. That's like a great no-cook meal for the a midweek or like an appetizer for a party. Um, you know, you have to um, know if your friends like that because I had a friend over last week, and I was like, oh, I'm making tin fish board, and she kind of looked very hesitant. She goes, I don't really like that. And I was like, oh, I should have asked her mm. before she came over. Um, but but all, I loved it. Good. I ate all, I, I, luckily I only opened up two cans. Mm. Smoked I tuna. And then there Tano. were. Tano. Tano. Is that what they call? Or t- what's the Italian tun- name? Uh, tono. Tono. Yeah. yeah. And they had great. pickled mackerel. And I, I joined one of the subscriptions. Nice. Yeah. Do you put that on your catering menu? I do now. Yeah. yeah. I do. That sounds lovely. So back to uh, books. You've got how many now? Three? So I have four books. books. Um, I produced and self-published my Ojai books. The first Ojai book was called Taste of Ojai. Mm -hmm. And then... I'm in the Rotary Club, so that was an object of discussion that we have the Taste of Ojai event Mm. annually. We never made an issue out of it because what you're doing is year-round and much, much better. But, you know, we, we... have this gathering of 20, 25, 30 restaurants. They all bring one thing each. We used to have it at mm-hmm. the end. I don't know if you ever Yeah, I, I actually attended those. and mm-hmm. Did you sign uh, donated. up as a vendor? Were you a vendor? Yeah, I was a vendor oh, several nice. times. Yeah. What did you bring? Do you remember? What was your specialty dish? Um, Tano. No. no. Oh, I probably did my fig and olive tapenade, Ooh, which I so used good. to produce uh, commercially. Um, I'm not doing it anymore. But. Yeah, is that tough to get these products out there? It seems um, like it's so competitive and regulated. It is. It is regulated. You need to find a good co-packer, and that is another long story. But I um, didn't have a a, a a co-packer to depend on. And that's somebody who. Who it's actually like makes the product? Order fulfillment. No, no, they make the product oh, for you in big vats, and, yeah. and um, you know, I own the recipe, I own the rights, and they don't do any distribution at all. You're on your you own. You have to huh? get it from them and do all your own distribution. It seems like there's got to be jobbers out there that take care of that. I know with like uh, advertising sales, there's companies that or people yeah, that definitely. will sell, like try to get you in with national brands yeah, and but, stuff. You know, they're large scale, and so are some of the co-packers, you know, thousands Mm. of cases. But also, you know, when you first are starting out, you don't have the uh, investment to, you know, have someone else do it. You want to make a little bit of money on it. It's it's a tough thing. You know, you have to be really serious. And easy to get over-promised and under-delivered from people. Definitely. And you have to do all your own marketing. And I like the cookbooks better because, you know, the Ojai cookbooks do well. I did produce another one. Um, 
like what, three, four years ago. So another I, taste of Ohio. Another taste of Ohio fla uh, flavors of the valley, and that one really, um, I feel like, really represents Ohio. I have a citrus chapter. Yeah, Every like a, a perfect gift for, or like a vacation. Um, Takeaway when people come here, like something. Oh, yeah, yeah, something that I says oh, Ohio. Yeah, it sounds uh, great. It was shot and um, you know produced here. I do all the food styling. I love working mm. with the photographers. And, and uh, food it, photography is its own its own genre. It's really amazing. It's really fun. Yeah, it's really fun. I did did the whole shoot at my house. But my photographer took shots all around the valley, so it really gives homage to yeah. uh, every the area. Set and setting. The mm -hmm. Setting is very important. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So, and then I have um, a Mediterranean cookbook, which is um, inspired by my travels in Europe. And yeah, I, we didn't talk about that. Oh, yeah, we just forgot yeah. about that. That's um, got Started going to Europe in the early 90s. I would watch Julia Child after school on TV. Uh, my mom was obsessed with Julia Child. And she, she had all the cookbooks and the Becker's family cookbook, The Joy of Cooking, mm -hmm. and Graham Kerr, The Galloping yeah, Gourmet. Yeah, I loved watching him. Uh, so it was General Hospital, Julia Child, and then Graham Kerr. That was your That was my afternoon. Yeah. Um, this is a long time ago. But she was always drinking wine and talking about France, and I was like, mm -hmm. I want to do that. So um, I started traveling on my own and went Did to... Did you have the sole minière at the restaurant? She, her first revelatory experience with food that she talks about in one of her cookbooks, the way the chef slid the, the sole filet onto her plate with all the delicious butter and everything. Oh. I just thought... I was hooked as soon as I read that paragraph. Yeah, she was amazing. I went to Italy first, so I was trying... The um, Tuscan fagioli bean, at every bean pasta, every restaurant. Fagioli, that's bean. Yeah. something, right? Yeah, pasta fagioli. Yeah, I tried that at every restaurant and risotto because that wasn't anything that we ever grew up no, having. No, I, I love risotto. It's I one do of my too. favorites. It's none of those in, infinitely, you know, var varieties that you can make. You know, just yeah. limited by your creativity. Definitely. The um. And polenta was the thing that I just. My mom made it like once or twice. I just thought it was the most delicious thing. Because we grow our own corn and mm -hmm. dry it, grind it, cornmeal, just different, you know, Johnny Cakes and all the stuff that we made with corn. That was my favorite by far. Polenta. Yum. Mm -hmm. The so, first time I had risotto in Italy, they were um, asked if we want truffle on it. And yeah. we did. White truffle or black? Yeah, the white truffle. And they. With the little slicer on yeah, top, a microplaner. But we didn't know that they charged per. Oh wow! <laughs> and they kept Probably going and looking at us and going kind of slow, and we're just sitting there. And then finally, my friend said, "You know, that's fine." And, got the bill. and we got the bill, and it was like seventy euros for like one dish of risotto. And it, or, uh, truffles are very overpowering too. You really yeah. got to be careful. I mean, it quantity. was delicious, but. We didn't know the protocol. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been on a truffle hunt? No, but I'm going on one Did you September. see the movie Pig? No. you got to see that. I'm if you're a food person, Nicolas Cage, 
is a loner living in the wilderness and he's got his pig who's like his best friend and truffle hunting and there's like one customer he has that comes in to supply restaurants buying his truffles and it's a long story but you understand the grief that he has experienced that drove him to solitude and how he how he goes on this like incredible mission to get his pig back is it a new movie no i think it's a couple years old Hmm. newish but Nick Cage is perfectly cast as this eccentric rogue chef slash hermit. Oh, I gotta watch that. But yeah, uh, if you've been in the food business, it's just beautiful. One of my favorite food movies. Mm. I've, I have a lot of favorite movies. Like Big to... Night is probably my next. Oh, I favorite. love that one. Yeah. That one. Yeah. So travels. Travel. I keep no. traveling. Italy, Spain. I lived in Spain for five years. Where in Spain? I lived in Malaga. Oh, wow. I love uh, Andalusia. I spent a fair bit of time when I was in the service there. There was Cadiz Air Base. Oh, and Cadiz is so beautiful. We lived near Marbella, but like up in the mountains from the coast, kind of the Ronda? way Ojai is. You know, no, we lived in Monda. Yeah, I've been to Ronda. That's up further. But we lived in a little village called Monda. It had a castle at the top of the village. Oh, sounds ideal. Um, I didn't Lots really speak Spanish very well, and people just thought I was shy because they thought I was Spanish with mm. dark hair. And um, my daughter was born there, actually. So you are part, or she's part Spanish then, huh? No, because her dad is and I aren't Spanish. Oh, but, but born in Spain, that's something born in you can... Spain. You can carry that around yeah that's very cool but we had a great time there we um were private chefs there we found people to cook for and oh um, really did you have to find them or you had kind of had them already lined up no we um we were just traveling because we wanted to leave the states and we were in a volkswagen for two years oh wow a volkswagen van <laughs> a or? volkswagen westphalia van oh perfect. we were traveling around for two years until we were like okay we need a house with a bathroom and um and I'm like, well, we need to work. He went and worked at a restaurant. I don't really love, I, I loved catering more. So I actually went and got us a job at this, um, it was like an, a community of really nice houses. And I went and mm. spoke to the manager or the owner of the, pro- of the property. And it was uh, all of her clientele were people coming from Norway and Switzerland and up mm-hmm. from the north to yeah. come down to the south. And I said, well... You know, you're hiring gardeners and housekeepers. Why not chefs? Why not chefs? She goes, well, I've never done this before. And I said, well, why don't we come to your house and cook for you? Anyway, we ended up being her private chefs for a a while and did many events. A good entree. Yeah. And then she would turn us on to her uh, renters there at the property. And what did you cook in Spain? I'm imagining... We cooked California gorgeous, food. Gorgeous sardines, but what about the paella? You know, we did rabbit and snail. Oh, we didn't do the Spanish food because it was so readily available. But mm, yeah, we did other true. than Spanish food. We would use the amazing ingredients, but we kind of brought our California style and sort of infused it with Mediterranean ingredients. Yeah. So that's kind of really what my foods are now is California Mediterranean. So you've You've secured a niche. I have a niche. Nice. Yeah. Well, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite cities in the world is Granada, just because the way it's set up. But they they do these 
you know, touristy things, but they're really fun. Uh, gypsy Caves of Sacramento, mm-hmm. where they do some flamenco, and you get a big bowl of um, paella. Yeah, it's beautiful there. You get free tapas there yeah. with every drink. <laughs> yes. We used to love going to Granada. Because I'll put the little slice of jamon serrano or whatever over mm-hmm. the top of your glass to keep the flies out. Yep, that's how that's it tapas started. That's means toppers, right? Mm-hmm. It was the top to yeah. keep the bugs out, yeah. The Pata Negra, the, the Blackfoot um, pigs, is the mm-hmm. best. Better um, than the uh, Iberico? I mean, it's, it's, that's the region, mm-hmm. and the Pata Negra is the, the type Blackfoot. of pig. Yeah. 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 Where they just eat acorns and lolly around in the sun all yeah. day. I mean, when you live in Spain, every home has their own um, jamón. And Place your holder, and you just, and like, you just slice, slice it off it every off day. Yep, yeah, we had that. Anyway, we lived there for like, we were there for about five years. We would go up into Europe, which is so easy. You know, we'd mm-hmm. visit friends. And um, once we had our daughter, we decided to move back to the States. And we have never left and have been here in Ojai for about 15 years. Does it have the same kind of vibe? Do you feel like southern I, it, Spain? It does. I mean, this is very Mediterranean feeling. Mm-hmm. People think, oh, and um, Mediterranean is is warm all the time, but no, they get winter mm-hmm. and um, rain, which is so lovely that we're getting rain. Yeah, but it, not as much as we need, but it's better than it just baking out. I wonder how it's going to be for whatever the food crops are that we're looking at right now for, you know, the... I have to talk to Steve. I had Steve Sprinkle on the podcast. That was fun. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you know Steve. Oh, yeah, I like know Steve. Source. Do you do any of the community-supported agricultural subscriptions? I don't because I need larger quantities because mm-hmm. you might get, like, one of this or one of yeah. that. But and I, you never know what you're going to get. Exactly. So I, I definitely um, buy from Farmer and the Cook and Steve. If I need bigger quantities, I'll call. And I go to mm-hmm. BD's farm twice a week. Earth Trine Farms. Earth yeah. Trine. Yeah, I love going over there. Do you go over there? I haven't been. I mean, I'm, of course, at the Sunday Farmer's Market, I get some. He's always got the best greens. One thing I don't see here that I saw in Europe and really loved was lamb's quarters. You know, the lamb's quarters greens. They're oh, the little mosh. Little mosh. That's, I think that's what it is. He has that right now. Does he? Yeah, mm-hmm. I just bought some last week. Yeah, the lamb's quarters yeah. are kind of, they've got some body to them. It's like a little bundle, and it's got the little green leaves. That, Maybe. I think we're talking. It's mosh. Yeah. I How don't do you know. spell that? M-A-C-H-E. Okay, yes, I think that might yeah, be. Yeah, they have that right now. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I um, if I need something, I'll just call the farmer. And um, then I, because usually my party's on Friday and Saturday, and mm-hmm. by the time Sunday rolls around, I don't need the produce until mm-hmm. the next Friday or Saturday. Yeah. So um, he's open on Tuesdays and Friday mornings. I didn't know that. Yeah. Where? Every, at his farm on Oh, Koyama. you got to drive up there. This. Right there on Koyama. Yeah, I know, with the big eucalyptus trees mm-hmm. that he takes yeah. care of so many I live two minutes from there, so I love going over there. And, um, you know, I just try to support... The stores here too. I don't um, buy from huge purveyors because I'm a private chef. I'm mm. only buying smaller quantities. So, um, but I'll I'll get uh, fish from Eric, or I'll go up to sometimes have to go up to Santa Barbara 
to the fish market. Yeah. Now, that is a well-known fish market, right, because of the spotted prawns and all the other mm-hmm. urchins and Yeah, he's sea been urchins. open since the 80s. I met those guys. They were just two surfer dudes selling fish off the boat, and then they opened up their location in the mid-'80s. Yeah, now they're really thriving. Yeah. I know. I see that on the menus that people, you know, the chefs will definitely make note of the provenance of that delicious seafood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're doing really well. So what's, uh, what's, you know, what's the future look like in catering and food? I imagine everything kind of got upended. Well, I'm certain it did during the pandemic. What's it looking like now? Well, you know, Brett, people are always going to eat. So I don't see the catering or restaurant business ever uh, diminishing. I mean, look at how it thrived during the pandemic. People, I mean, for a short time, everything was closed. But then, you know, Mm. people were ordering from restaurants and caterers. I was busy. I was dropping off food. I wouldn't go into people's homes. I was masked up. You know, here's your food, leaving it at the doorstep. But, um, you know, as long as people are still alive, people are still going to eat. And uh, that's why this is such a great business. Yeah, it's, I can see that. Plus people, you know, the, the fellowship and the camaraderie and the community that people build around their, their food and their meals and everything. Absolutely. You know, yeah. people really went into cooking again because they were mm-hmm. working out of their homes and you know all the um the posts of all you know making sourdough bread and making oh, this yeah, and making yeah. that but after about four or five months people <laughs> didn't want to cook as much anymore so they were uh mm-hmm. you know the restaurants out. were packed all the time or even if they were still cooking they wanted to cook for each other they didn't mm-hmm. want to just have these eating over the sink you know kind of meals no they they learned how to be in the kitchen again yeah Yeah. i mean i've i've been in the business for 40 years and i knock on wood i i've never had to really advertise i it's word of mouth people like what i do i create relationships with my clients Mm -hmm. and um then they recommend me to other people so um that's really what i want to impart with my coaching because you know yeah, relationships. You, relationship is huge, you know. The calling people and you know, a, a year later and wishing them a happy anniversary after you catered their wedding or mm-hmm. there's you know, there's a there's a protocol yeah. and there's a there's a way to communicate with people to make them feel welcome. So And to drive that repeat business. It does help with that too. Yeah. But, yeah. So, um, how did you get to Ojai? I don't think we, I don't think we spoke uh, specifically met, about that. Um, I met someone here and yeah. moved to Ojai. Okay, I'm not That's with not that uncommon. person anymore. But, um, but I raised my daughter here, and her dad was here too, so he is still here. So um, we raised her together here separately, and that really worked out well. Yeah, and it's a great place for raising kids. Yeah, you know, my I mean, kids. Can't wait to get away, but I think they long for. They have definitely have a nostalgic view of Ohio as they're adults now. Yeah, I hope my daughter has that view. Um, she's twenty and she's back no, and forth from school. Not until she's like twenty. Maybe she has to be a little older, but mm-hmm. uh, she's in and out because she's at school still. But uh, yeah, it's been a great place. This is the longest place I've ever lived in my entire life. Me too. 
I have moved 39 times in my life. Wow. I've lived in so many counting, different places. counting living in a... Westphalia van I counted south that. of Europe. I counted so that. So all those moves separately yeah. there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because that would add up fast. Oh, not the traveling part. Okay. Just the actual as living. One, yeah. One. Okay. Yeah. But I have moved many, many times. I'm really good at moving. Um, but the, I've lived in this one house for seven years. That's pretty long for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love living here. And I travel a lot still. And I... I go to Europe every year, at least twice a year. I go to Mexico. and um, mm, Definitely one of the world's great cuisines. Mexico, I just find Mexican food. The food, food so. is so amazing there. And so the regional specialties. When I lived on a border, it was on the Sonoran border and the barbacoa that they would mm. make there. It's just everybody has their own special recipe. but they mm. And the know, chilies and the mm, garlic and the God. spices and... Yeah, actually, I'm making uh, salsa matcha on Thursday. I have uh, all the chilies and all the ingredients, and I'm going to be making a big batch. To or moles, just moles alone. Mm-hmm. A, puts them in the first rank. I got some mole negro in my refrigerator right now. I'm just to waiting use for, that. My, for my son to get here so we can feast. But yeah. So what other cuisines do you? I'm, I had a guy tell me one, this mocking me because I said, "Oh, I love Japanese food. It's one of the world's great cuisines." I didn't have. Oh, then he was like, "No, it's all derivative, and it's some Chinese and this and that, and they don't have any original thoughts about food." And, and I didn't have an answer for him. I was like, "You know, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe it isn't that good." But they have four hundred different names, different types of salt. Four hundred. Wow. If any culture, any culture's cuisine has 400 different varieties That's of salt. That's crazy. I want to go there just for that. Yeah. I've never been to Asia. I'll tell you what my favorite cuisine is. Um, well, two, Greek, Greek food and Middle Eastern food. Mm, I love yeah. the spices in the Middle Eastern food, and I love yeah, the simplicity. Sumac and, sumac and, and za'atar and I love um, coriander and... You know, the ingredients are simple, but they are flavored so well. And Greek food is kind of the opposite because mm-hmm. it's really simple. Mm-hmm. Like, I go to Greece every year. That's one of my favorite nice. places. Um, but lemon on a piece of fish or, like, some grilled sardines and just mm-hmm. some grilled lemon juice on there. It's just so delicious. Oh, my gosh. And their cheeses are so amazing. And the people are just so welcoming. Yeah, the sheep milk. Feta that you get in Greece is not like you're going to find in a supermarket around here at all. I go to Crete and they make uh, mizithra, which is their fresh goat's milk cheese. It's like mm. really soft. And then they end up aging it and you can buy aged mizithra here. But it's just so soft and delicious. It's it's not grainy like a ricotta cheese. It's just smooth and they put it More in like everything. It's, it's, so, it's not like that. It's like... Mm. It's more like um, like the texture of like a soft uh, goat. Mm. I mean, it's fresh goat cheese, basically. Chevre. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Oh, there's a Lebanese restaurant in Ventura. Not to give them free advertising or whatever, but it is a revelation. It's the Lebanese kitchen. It's in a hole-in-the-wall place off Ashwood. But, oh, my goodness, just the garlic paste that comes with every meal. And the, the uh, now I can't remember the name of their specialty there, but the 
you know, the spiced, marinated, grilled chicken where it's all crusty on the outside and soft on the inside. I have to Just go there. Just a great texture. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I love amazing. that place. I love yeah, Lebanese food. For $13, you get a combo plate with a little bit of everything. It's just, Yum. Is it like a restaurant or more like a... It's a restaurant, but they only have like maybe four tables in there. Oh. They do brisk takeout business. It's always, you know, it's always the home community. You know? Yeah, it's always that the They're good. cooking for each other. That was. I'm going to go there this afternoon. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking about it now, too. Jonathan Gold had that. Well, he I got to moderate a panel with him. He, I was on stage with him. That was a big treat for me because, you know, Jonathan Gold yeah. is the only food writer to win a Pulitzer. And I got to have a meal with him here in Ojai at Steve Sprinkles. Um, you know, I was the only place I could think of who would understand who that was. And mm-hmm. Steve really came through with just, you know, just bringing stuff out until we told him to stop. But those delicious sopas and bean paste and all the kind of southern Mexican cuisine. Mm-hmm. But Jonathan Gold said that people come from all over. He's talking about New York and and Los Angeles. And New York has really some of the best food in the world. But he says people come from all over the world to New York to cook for New Yorkers. They come from all over the world to Los Angeles to cook for each other. I thought that was the most brilliant way to put it because Mm -hmm. these people build their communities around these little neighborhood ethnic Mm -hmm. restaurants. And it's like that's why Los Angeles might very well be the capital of the food world because of the diversity. You know, it isn't just like, oh, here's a Thai restaurant opened up. No, it's like, you know, it's a northern Thai street market food with, you know, those little fancy little sausages they make. Or no, it's got, you know, southern Thai with the, you know, uh, Koh Samoy, where they got a little mm-hmm. Malaysian influence. And I mean, it's like so specific that it's just, you just don't find and it And it's so else. huge. There's all these little pockets everywhere. I know. I just, I really used to go down to LA at least once or twice a month, but I haven't in years, not since the pandemic, just to go check out one of Jonathan Gold's top 100 restaurants. Mm-hmm. Really, it's great just to see these places stuck in a hole in a wall in the San Gabriel Valley that. You know, maybe they're not doing very well, but they're just getting by. All the family works there. And they're doing more like pop-ups where a chef or um, they'll just like kind of move into another restaurant on their day off. Yeah. And Uh, have like a Ghost kitchens. Is that what they're called? I think they are. It's like where you're basically, one restaurant kind of turns over their kitchen to another one that just exists only as like Like once a week. Yeah. 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 That's very popular. They're not really doing that up here no. in Ohio, But we've got some new places. Yeah, we're spoiled here. People don't, you know, if we didn't have the tourism, we would have, like, you know, Caro's or something, and that would be about it. Yeah, tourism is great. a town of 8,000 people cannot sustain these amazing restaurants that we have. What do you think about all these uh, new places opening up and new influx of of people moving to I have, the valley. I have mixed feelings. Mostly I just wish I had more money so I could eat out more because <laughs> it's so, and there's so much, the food definitely got kicked up a level since Definitely, the yeah. My problem with the people who have moved here since the pandemic is a lot of them don't really have any skin in the game. You know, they, they have money. They're sort of isolated from the community flow and, you know, the, the tides. They don't really incorporate themselves in. However, that's always been the case. 
people sort themselves out. There are people that I know a lot of them that have just showed up in the last year or two and they get involved in all the right ways. And you can tell they're really fitting in. And then there's other people who think we're just a bunch of hicks and idiots. and they, Or hippies. Yeah. Or whatever it is. They just don't, they just don't gel. So they sort themselves out. But we definitely had... Or they move. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll sort, they'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, a couple questions. One, we talked about... Well, let's start with the question I asked about the... Um, grab and go like if you know a fire's coming or an earthquake or whatever and you gotta grab a few things besides like you know your family and your pets yeah what do you what are going to be your most prized possessions that you have that you would want to save you know with a fire bearing down on you kind of a situation i've got a box of pictures you know the rest everything else is on the cloud my computer my laptop my my knives, I'd probably dump my drawer of knives into a box and yeah. throw those in the van. Any pans? Um, gosh, I just bought some new pans. All, I love all clad pans. Mm. I should probably grab those too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have everything you could possibly need in a kitchen. But um, the knives are worth saving. And um, yeah, I mean... What what do you grab? I mean, if the fire's right outside the door, yeah, you got to make yeah. some choices. That's so a you're good gonna get question. Your, you're going to get your tools of the trade, your knives. Yeah, I think and then I'd... your memories, the photos, photographs. The one box of photos—they're from yeah. a long time ago, so I don't have those scanned anywhere. So maybe I yeah. should get that done one of these days. That's something for me to think about, too. Yeah. I know exactly where they are and what I need to do, but it's, like, overwhelming because there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And the other question was your your fantasy dinner guests, and what would you cook for them? <laughs> You've thought about this, I know. I've thought about it, but I don't have an answer. My fantasy sh- guest. What about Julia Child? Or would you be too intimidated to cook for her? Well, she's not here. It's yeah, a fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, I don't know if I can answer this. Um, and what I would cook? I would cook what they want to eat. Um, what would you hope that they wanted to eat? So I'm asking, what would be your fantasy meal as well? I have not. I I I need more time for this. <laughs> um, what would I make? Well, why don't you think about it and okay. then leave, call in, leave me a voicemail, and then I'll post that up on the okay. podcast. All right. That might That's be a fun. good one. Yeah, I really have to put some more thought into that. So anything else um, do you want to talk about? I mean, we've already gone over time here. Is there anything um, on your mind or anything related to food in Ojai that, that you want people to know or to discuss or to think about? Well, I love to hear back from my readers when they try my recipes, Mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes people forget about that. So uh, if you have the cookbook, A Taste of Ojai, and you love one of the recipes, you know, reach out to me through Instagram, Private Chef Robin, or my website, privatechefrobin.com. And I also love doing cooking classes, and I don't have a place to have a 
to hold a cooking uh, wasn't, class. Wasn't uh, Lavender Inn? Did they open their kitchen? No, they haven't opened up their kitchen. I thought they were hosting events there, and I thought you were. I used to, yeah, but they are not doing that any longer. Oh, okay. So yeah, I did regular classes there. Anybody have a kitchen I can use? <laughs> well, the Ohio Valley Inn has one of the grandest kitchens in the world at their new farmhouse. Have you been there yet? I have. That's really have. impressive. But they're not renting out their kitchen like well, that. Well, they are for the right amount of money. Yeah. So if I anybody like has a, a beautiful kitchen that they would like to me to host some cooking classes once a month, I could see I'd, that being a really fun thing. For I would like love a group to do of that. Friends to get get together, especially if we have a few guests from out of town. And well, I'll go to your house. I'll go to anybody's house and do the cooking class. But I'd like to host public classes once a month, or maybe once a quarter, so that they're ongoing classes mm-hmm. and we cook recipes. And you grow together with your cohort and the things that you do, the classes that they together over time. Definitely, and that we put fun. we group people together. Um, maybe if it's a small group, each person makes a dish, and then I pull it all together. We sit down at the table and eat it together. But if it's a larger group, then I'll pair couples together, and we prepare the dishes and talk about some little kitchen wisdom and little kitchen tips that you can Mm -hmm. walk away with saying, oh, wow, (laughs) I uh, never thought about that. One of my biggest tips in the kitchen Oh, is I love this is so simple but you know how when you're cutting on a cutting board and it kind of when you're cutting it's sliding across the counter a little mm-hmm. bit so just wet a paper towel or a cloth towel and put it under your cutting board and it it helps oh, it, it grips, stick, oh, it grips yeah. on there it's very simple it's a simple little kitchen tip yeah well i learned to microwave lemons to get more juice out of them. Oh, wow. Just like 15 seconds. I don't have Huge a microwave. Huge amount of yield. You can tell. Just That's you know. a great idea. I don't have a microwave, though, but I'll have to try it mm-hmm. sometime. Or even just boil it in a little water, I think. Just getting the temperature up, it releases more of the juice. Love that. I'm just about to make some lemon marmalade. I'm going to try that. Ooh, love that. Just the idea of lemon marmalade. Or lemon curd is one of my favorites. Lemon curd, too, yeah. <sighs> yeah. We're spoiled here in Ohio, aren't we? <laughs> we are. Right. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Brett Bradigan. Just thinking out loud. So, um, very lively discussion with Robin. I did get to share some of my reminiscences, which food is notorious for doing. You imagine sitting in the kitchen, Marcel Proust with his Madeline being dipped into his tea, remembering the hollyhocks outside of his outside of his boyhood home with his mother and the warmth of the kitchen and how that informed so much of his work. And such a brilliant writer. He didn't write about food, obviously, but just how food triggers our memories and how central it is because it engages so much of our senses, I think. You know, the memories that form around food are deeper and more hooked into our psyche because it involves your sense of smell, your taste, the textures of the food, and everything that goes around it. It uh, amplifies your memories. So it's no surprise that one smell of a certain, you know, pomegranate juice or a hot dog roasting or something can put you back in a place and watch the years melt away. 
So, um, what a treat it was for me, and I hope for you. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.